0: I don't want to brag, but when I graduated high school, uh, my GPA was not at the very top of my class, but my grade point average was, was good enough that I graduated in the top 30 of my class academically. Now, before you get too impressed, there were only 27 people in my graduating class. So by default, I was in the top 30. The reality is I was not a good student at all. So when it came time for the annual yearbook awards, you know, uh, most likely to succeed, smartest, I was not gonna make the cut on those. When they gave out the ballots for the awards, I went through them all, looked at all the awards, and there wasn't really anything I thought I was going to win. Until one day in a class I was in, I noticed a few other girls from my senior class on their ballots next to one of the awards, they wrote a specific name. One of those girls is now my sister-in-law, and next to the award for best hair was one name, my name, Jeff. Now, you don't know this, but I've not always shaved my head. I can actually still grow a full head of hair. It's just way easier to shave it once a week and not deal with making it every morning. So I I shaved my head. At the time, I had a full head of hair, though. and, And so I saw my name next to the award on their ballot for best hair. I started feeling pretty good about myself. Started getting kind of excited. Maybe I would actually win an award. And why wouldn't they vote me for best hair? I mean, I thought I had a pretty good head of hair. Myself and these girls, they didn't know that I saw their ballots. I should have just kept my mouth shut, which I'm still learning to do now at 44 years old. Uh, but, but I wanted to know why they voted for me. And so I asked them, Well, why did you guys vote for me for best hair? That's when I realized I didn't have that great of hair and I had a chance at winning class clown based on how hard they laughed at me. I don't think they meant to laugh so hard, but they couldn't help it. And my now sister-in-law said, We didn't vote for you for best hair. We voted for Jeff Nichols, who was a student that used to attend our school and would have been in our senior class, but no longer attended that school. Jeff had long, flowing, luscious, fluffy, Beverly Hills 90210 kind of hair. Can I get a witness for Beverly Hills 90210? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you are better for it, trust me. So I did bring today a a picture of my, my senior picture. Do you want to see my senior picture? There is no way I'm showing you that picture. Just kidding. Here's my my senior picture. Yeah. I got got some awes in every service. Like, oh, either you feel really bad for me or I was super cute. Either way, I'm okay with that. I mean, let's just admit that the hair's not horrendous, but it's not winning best hair either, uh, even with only 27 people in our class. Now, here's the thing. Funny story to open up, but... When I saw my name, I expected one thing, but the reality was something completely different, and it left me more than disappointed. And that idea of expectation versus reality is what I wanna talk to us about today, but not as it relates to to yearbook awards, as it relates to Jesus and the danger there is of us being disappointed in him. Before I get too far down the road here, I do want to introduce myself to anyone who is, who is new. My name's Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. And whether you're in the room live or joining us on video somewhere, I'm so glad that you are with us today. I think sometimes we, we see the name Jesus or we hear the name Jesus and we have some very specific expectations especially as it relates to believing in him or following him in our life. In fact, you might even be here today and right now you don't believe in God or you don't believe that Jesus is the way to God. And maybe one of the reasons why you don't believe is because of the expectations you had about Jesus, what it meant to follow him, what you thought he was going to do for you and that didn't match up with reality and it it caused you to, to not believe in Jesus. If that's you or for whatever reason you may not believe, I am thrilled that you are here with us today. And here's the thing. I don't know what anyone's expectations are with Jesus. I don't know what anyone's expectations are when it comes to following or believing in Jesus. And this message may not change anyone's expectations. But I do hope, I pray that, that this message would, would maybe add for all of us a new layer to the picture. That, that maybe this message would help clarify some things in our faith. Maybe it will, it will confirm some things in us. Or maybe for someone, it will reveal something brand new about Jesus and what it means to follow him. This message is the seventh one in a seven-week series we've called Seven And in preparation for Easter this next week, we've been walking through the seven final statements that the Bible records Jesus making from the cross. And this one today is where I think we often get disappointed with our expectation of Jesus. It's it's very easy for us to do a series like the one we've been in where we are focusing on the suffering of Christ. Jesus is often referred to as the suffering servant. The, the physical, spiritual, emotional agony that Jesus faced while on the cross would have been overwhelming. Any words I can use to describe that pain, any images we can conjure up to, to talk about the pain Jesus went through pales in comparison to what he actually faced. In just the last few hours of his life, Jesus, the the sinless, spotless, perfect Son of God, God in the flesh, was betrayed and denied by his closest friends. He was accused of and and arrested for a crime he did not commit. He he was beaten and tortured beyond recognition, and then he was nailed to a cross where he would hang for six hours agonizing hours, being mistreated and mocked and abused and abandoned by those in his life. Suffering was a path that Jesus had to walk. And here's the thing, if we're gonna follow Jesus, suffering is a path that we will have to walk as well. This is where our expectations fall short of reality. We, we see the name Jesus. We hear the name Jesus, especially in relation to following him. And, and we easily think he's Jesus. Like I, I, I know he suffered for me and we're very quick to talk about that and praise him for it and we should. But then I think we have this expectation, maybe even a subconscious one, that if I now believe in Jesus, Shouldn't he take all the suffering away from me? But the reality is, there is a theology of suffering that we don't often talk about in our American Christianity. Peter, one of the 12 original apostles of Jesus, when he was writing a letter to a group of first century Christians who were facing suffering of their own, extreme persecution for their faith, they were wrestling with this disappointment of expect, expect, ex, expectation versus reality. First Peter 2.21, he writes this. For God called you to do good, even if it means what? Suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So the big idea for today, if you wanna write it down, it's on the screens, is this. In suffering, the example Jesus left is the experience we can live. That in his suffering, Jesus modeled for us how to walk through that. And the way Jesus walked through suffering is also the way that we can walk through suffering. It's an experience we can live. Every one of us is gonna suffer, right? I know, super encouraging message today. We're all gonna suffer. It might be suffering persecution for our faith like these first century Christians Peter was writing to. It might be suffering the loss of a loved one or sickness or disease or financial calamity, whatever it is, all of us will face suffering. I almost feel like this message has become a perfect bridge into the series we're starting next Sunday on Easter Sunday. We're calling the series Even So. There are some invites and information cards on your seats. I'd encourage you to take that with you. Use it to invite someone to come to, to Easter Sunday. There's some social media invites that will be online as well. Easter Sunday is by far the number one Sunday of the year that the majority of people in America are at least willing to go to church. So we may as well take that opportunity and invite them to come. And please note we have some special Easter service times. No 6 p.m. service next Sunday, okay? So we'll have 8.30, 10, 11.30, and then 1 p.m. just for Easter, and then we'll be back to our normal schedule the following week. In that series, though, we are going to take four weeks and kind of walk through the question, what do I do when life doesn't go my way? Because that's just reality. Life doesn't always go our way. And I can't think of a more relevant subject that the Bible addresses than that one. And I can't think of a more relevant series or a more relevant season like Easter to invite someone to than to that one as well. One of the things that I love about the Bible so much is the Bible does not sugarcoat life. The Bible never promises us a pain-free or problem-free life. What it does offer are some principles and some examples of people that we can follow as we walk through our suffering. And one of those examples we see today is Jesus in suffering. The example Jesus left is the experience we can live. That because of Jesus, we can face our suffering like Jesus. In fact, Peter said in that passage, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. So the big question we're gonna ask today is this. How did Jesus walk through his suffering? How did Jesus walk through his suffering? The main scripture is Luke 23, 43 through 46. In this passage, we'll see the seventh and final statement of Christ from the cross. In that statement, we will see some things that I think epitomize the life of Jesus as he walked through many layers of suffering in his life. If you're following along in your own Bible, Luke is the third book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. All the scriptures and the things that we read, quotes and stuff, will be on the screens as well. And if you don't own your own Bible, please, please, please don't leave without one. We'll get you a Bible free of charge by just asking for one out in the lobby. By this point in the scene, Jesus has been on the cross now for six agonizing hours. Six of the seven statements have already been uttered by our Lord. And we need to remember that not all seven statements are recorded in any one of the Gospels alone. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are eyewitness accounts to the life of Jesus. None of them contain all seven statements, but collectively we get them all. The the sixth statement was, it is finished. Talked about that one last week. If you wanna get caught up on any sermons you missed, you can do that on our website. Just click the watch tab on the top of the page. Luke 23, jumping right in here, verses 44 and 45 say this. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Now, there's so much here I want to address, but we don't have time to, but we need to address part of it, okay? This, this curtain that was torn down the middle, torn in two, it was the curtain that separated the holy of holies in the temple, the place where God's presence dwelled, separated that from the rest of the temple and the people. It was in the Holy of Holies where the high priest would enter to enter God's presence and make a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. This curtain represented the separation that existed between God and the people. From history, we know this curtain was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, And four inches thick. Matthew's gospel records it was torn down the middle from top to bottom. So here's this curtain representing the separation that existed between God and the people torn down the middle from top to bottom. It's significant enough that it was torn down the middle. But do you wonder why it was torn from top to bottom? There is no proof that this is the case, but I believe that this was a message from God to humanity that since you couldn't earn your way into my presence from earth to heaven, I will pay the price for you to be in my presence by bringing heaven to earth in the form of Jesus curtain torn down the two, down down the middle, the presence of God has now been opened. That no longer will there be a separation between God and us. No longer will we need the blood of animals to be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. No longer will we need a priest to enter God's presence on our behalf. Jesus is the Lamb of God who shed his blood for the sins of the world, and Jesus is our great high priest who by his death and resurrection and by faith in him ushers us into the very presence of God himself. I am preaching, and I haven't even got to the preaching part yet. (laughs) We're not even to the statement yet, all right? So now, the seventh and final statement of Christ on the cross, the curtain torn into, entrance into God's presence has been gained. And Luke 23 46 says, Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Can we just let that sit for a second? That the author of life surrendered his life. Remember just a few statements earlier, Jesus had cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And now he says, I trust you with my spirit? Whoa, Three weeks ago, Pastor Andy made a great connection to these words of Jesus on the cross and the words of Job in the, New Test- in the Old Testament. Job, this man who God allowed Satan to take everything from him. Satan believed that Job would curse God if God took away the blessings of life. So Satan took all his wealth, all his health, and all his children. The only thing Satan left in his life to try to get him to curse God was his wife, which says a lot about Job's wife. (laughs) But here's Job in the midst of hell on earth. And Job said, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. And now Jesus, in the midst of experiencing his own hell on earth, Jesus said, into your hands, I trust my spirit. Or in other words, God might kill me, and he did. But I have no other hope. I trust in my father. The Ellicott Commentary said this, these final words of Jesus are not the words of abandonment, but of an absolute and unshaken trust. So in suffering, the example Jesus left is the experience we can live. So how did Jesus walk through suffering? The first thing we see is this, with an unshakable trust. and can i just say i want that trust i want it the bible.org commentary i had never heard this before it was new information for me and i think it's awesome it says this about the statement these last words of jesus correspond to a prayer that jewish mothers taught their children to say before going to sleep it may be wondered, did, did Mary, when Christ was a child, teach this prayer to her son? This prayer is an expression of total trust in God. It comes from Psalm 31, in which King David put his future into the hands of the Lord God with the certainty that God would act in His favor. The actual verse is Psalm 31:5. Jesus quotes this on the cross, "I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord." for you are a faithful God. Hanging to a tree, Jesus said to the Father, I trust you. I trust you. Can I just be honest? (laughs) I often struggle to trust God. Not, Not trust him to save me from my sins. That's like the easy part. I don't struggle to trust God to save me from my sins. But I do struggle at times to trust him that he will see me through a difficult season. Either a season that he's leading me into or a season he's allowing to come against me. I struggle to trust God. Just a couple months ago, I felt like God was leading me into a potentially difficult season. There were a lot of unknowns risks that had to be taken, but I truly felt like God was leading me to it. And as I was heading into that season, I was asking lots of questions of God. God, are you sure about this? God, what about this? And God, what if this happens? And God, do you know about this as if we're going to enlighten God on something? God, I don't know if I can do this. At that time, I was doing a Bible reading plan through the end of the year, 2018, that had me read uh, the Psalm and the Proverb of the day. So if it was you know, the 14th of the month, you'd read uh, Proverbs 14 and Psalm 14. Well, this was the last day of the year, December 31st of 2018. So I, would, I read Proverbs 31 and then Psalm 31. As I was preparing for this message, I realized the last words of Jesus on the cross were a direct quote from Psalm 31, verse five. And the last words I felt the Lord give me in 2018 were from Psalm 31. And in a, in a moment where, where I was struggling to trust God, God encouraged me with Psalm 31, 19. It says this, how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, those who trust you, blessing them before the watching world. And I just believe that that someone here today is struggling to trust God in a specific area of your life, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, whatever it is. And like me, you might trust God to save you from your sins, but you are struggling to trust him that he will see you through this difficult season. And I believe Psalm thirty-one nineteen are God's words of encouragement for someone today. How great is the goodness that our God has stored up For those who fear him, he lavishes it on those who come to him for protection, blessing them before the watching world. And you might say, Pastor Jeff, I did trust God and the goodness still didn't come. I still lost my loved one. I still lost my job. I still got the sickness. The bad things still happened. And that's why we need to also see the second way, experience the second way that Christ walked through suffering in suffering. The example Jesus left is the experience we can live. So how did he walk through suffering? With an unshakable trust. And I say it again. God, I want that trust. I want it. Second way is this with an unwavering hope. Jesus had an unwavering hope. When Christ said, Into your hands I entrust my spirit, I believe he was speaking words of hope. He was saying, I might be on the cross in this moment, but in just a moment, I'm going to cross over to the Father. I'll be with him again. There was an unwavering hope of the goodness that was to come that he would be with the Father in heaven. I never noticed the correlation before, but this ties back into what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. If you don't know, there were two criminals crucified with Jesus, one on either side. One of them mocked and cursed Jesus. The other criminal cried out in faith to Jesus, even said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded with the words, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I wonder, I wonder if those words weren't just hope for the thief, I wonder if Jesus was speaking words of hope to his own heart. That today, I will also be with my Father in paradise. The pulpit commentary said this about the statement. Doctrinally, this saying from Jesus is of vast importance, for it emphatically asserts that for those who believe, the soul will exist apart from the body in the hands of the Father. The Apostle Paul alludes to this in what he said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, dare we say our sufferings, are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. That right now, there might be suffering. And right now, there might be pain. But like I said in my message on heaven a few weeks ago, we now have an unwavering hope that there is coming a day when there will be no more sorrow or tears or suffering or pain, no more struggles or sickness or sin or disease. We may not experience the full goodness and glory of God right now, but we have a hope that rests in the goodness and glory of God that is to come, that sometimes in the midst of our hurt, the only thing we have to hold on to is the promise of a coming hope. And someone here today needs to hear the words, hang on to that hope. Hang on to that hope. Hope that you might be on a cross today. In this moment, you might be suffering. But in just a moment, you will cross over to the other side where there's no more sorrow or sickness or struggle or pain. In suffering, the example Jesus left is the experience we can live. So how did Jesus walk through Suffering with an unshakable trust, and I say it again, I want it. With an unwavering hope, and I'll say this, I need that. Number three, he walked with an unrivaled strength. With an unrivaled strength. In this final moment of the earthly life of Christ, we might view this as his weakest moment. Here he was, beaten to a pulp, nailed to a tree, breathing his last earthly breath. Even in these final words, we might be tempted to hear them as weakness or as defeat, but it wasn't weakness and it wasn't defeat. In the words of Dr. Michael Youssef, he beautifully said, This cry was not the cry of defeat, but a cry of victory. It was not the cry of being conquered by death, but of conquering death. It was not a cry of a person who was a victim of circumstances, but one who is in control of his circumstances. As a commander who would dismiss his servant from his presence, Jesus dismissed his own spirit and went to be with God the Father. Isn't that awesome? Into your hands I entrust my spirit. Many scholars believe that with this last statement on the cross and the resurrection that would follow on the third day, Jesus was fulfilling the words he spoke to the disciples in John chapter 10. They are words of unrivaled strength and they were fulfilled with the unbelievable events of Easter Sunday. John 10, verse 18. These are powerful words spoken by our Lord about his life. He said this, no one can take my life from me I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again for this is what my father has commanded Mike drop. No one takes my life, Jesus said. I'm the author of it. I lay it down when I want to and I take it up again when I want to. It's mine to give. It's mine to live. And he did it. He did it. And you might say, yeah, that was Jesus. Of course he had unrivaled strength, but how does this help me? <laughs> well, yes, Jesus walked through suffering with an unrivaled strength, but did you know, did you know he makes that very same strength and power available to you today. You know that? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1:19 and 20 says what is my prayer for our church today. He says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Church, the same power that caused the tomb to be empty can fill your life today. It's an unrivaled strength and an unrivaled power. And it is the only way, church, We will ever walk through suffering with any kind of strength. Because it's not my strength that gets me through. And it's definitely not yours. The only way we get through is the unrivaled strength of Jesus. The example he left is the experience we can live. Listen, I don't want to go through suffering. You don't want to go through suffering. But it's coming. And when I walk through it, God, I want to walk through it with an unshakable trust in you that God might kill me, but there's nowhere else to hope but him. I want an unwavering hope that I might be on the cross in this moment, but I'm going to cross over in just a moment. That this life is so small and eternity is so long. And I want, God, I want an unrivaled strength to live in me. Notice, Paul did not say that there is in the, the, the same power of the resurrection available for those who believe in Jesus, but for those who believe Jesus. You gotta believe what he says. So do you believe? Do you believe? Listen, you, you might be here today And you might want that unshakable trust, you might want that unwavering hope, you might want that unrivaled strength, but none of that's available until I first put my faith in Jesus. Listen, I don't mean this in a demeaning way or derogatory way at all, but I honestly don't know how people who don't believe in Jesus walk through suffering. I don't know how they do it. It's hard enough with Jesus. I can't imagine without him. And listen, in, in some ways, when you don't believe in Jesus and you go through suffering, you are walking that road alone. There's not an unshakable trust. There is no unwavering hope, there will be no unrivaled strength for you, unless you believe. It starts with belief. And make no mistake about it, this happened. Jesus died for you, not just to give you strength to walk through suffering, but to take away your sins, forgive you of them, give you a new life, power to live your life every day and one day eternal life forever with him blows my mind and if that's you today and you've never put your faith in Christ uh, we're not going to have a time right now where just say a prayer and you do that but I want to talk to you about it Uh, I won't I won't force you into a decision but I want to talk to you So if you've never put your faith in Christ, you want to talk to somebody, find me, find a pastor, a staff member, stop by the purple tent in the back and talk to a prayer team member. We'd love to have a conversation about what it means to put your faith in Jesus. I'm gonna pray for us, then I'll ask you to remain seated. Got a few closing remarks. God, you're so good. You are a promise-keeping God. And you never promised us that we would not go through suffering. In fact, you said, it's coming. It's coming. Troubles will come, but you promised that you'd walk with us through it. Lord, I'm asking for myself and for our church that we have an unshakable trust in you. I'm asking that we would hold on to that unwavering hope. And Lord, I'm asking that you fill my heart with an unrivaled strength. The strength of the power of the resurrection. Lord, we love you. We thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are new here, please stop by the living room on your way out. We'd love to see you over there. If you need prayer for anything going on in your life, stop by the purple tent in the back of the auditorium. Our prayer team will be there to pray for whatever needs you got going on. And then don't forget, invite somebody to come to Easter Sunday. It is the number one weekend of the year that people are open to attending, so please do that. I hope this series was helpful for you. I know it was for me. I love you guys so much. Have an awesome week. You're dismissed.